At Jiffy Lube, it's our job to make car care make sense. That's why we offer personalized service reviews that swap car talk for straight talk, so you know what your car is telling you and what to do about it. Putting you in the driver's seat of car care, that's a job for Jiffy. Visit JiffyLube.com to find a service center near you. Politicians, addressed the digitators and magicians. First you see the money, then you don't. There's nothing to fill the holes while they're filling their pockets. Potholes, and politicians bouncing down the road. Everybody's wishing for no more corruption and dysfunction. It's gonna take divine intervention. And God bless all out there. You are now listening to The Founders Show, the voice of the Founding Fathers, your Founding Fathers. And deep within the bowels of those mystic and cryptic alligator swamps, way down there on the Big Easy, that old Crescent City, New Orleans, Louisiana, and high up on top of that old Liberty Cypress tree, way out on the Eagle's Branch, this is none other than your Spengiri Baba of the Republic, Chaplain. Hi, McHenry. And I'm Christopher Tidmore, your roving reporter and resident radical moderate and associate editor of the Louisiana Weekly Newspaper. And hi, I'm coming to you from Prince Rupert, British Columbia, Canada, as we do the show this week. Uh, it, for those that don't know where Prince Rupert is, don't feel alone. I doubt if you went down the street here it's in New Orleans or any of the surrounding five parish area and asked, where is Prince Rupert? The average person would have the foggiest notion of what we were talking about, some weird place in Scandinavia. And I have to admit, as I look out of my window, sitting here at the prestige Prince Rupert, over the beautiful bay, it looks almost like a fjord, incredible uh, rocks out, uh, topped with evergreen, brilliant uh, 30-foot pine trees, incredibly, hopelessly beautiful. But it's not the beauty that I'm here to talk about. It's the economics, the economics that we in New Orleans should learn from. Now, today's show, we're going to talk a lot about topics. We've got qualifying coming up. The Governor Governor Edwards, is it looking like he's going to have a free ride? We're going to talk about some other issues that are going on in local politics. But I wanted to start us off, high as I do the show from Prince Rupert, with a little lesson that we could learn in New Orleans and Louisiana with what Prince Rupert has managed to do, thanks to a lot of partnerships, for getting international trade, particularly container business, from China and Asia. Now, why should we care about a weird place called Prince Rupert? Because, folks, we care about getting container business, trillions of dollars of business, through the port of New Orleans. Now, where is Prince Rupert, for those that have no idea where I'm talking about? Well, basically, if you look on a map and look at Alaska, look where the capital of Alaska is at Juneau, and you go straight down to right where Canada starts, that's Prince Rupert. It is the deepest bay the third deepest bay on planet Earth, coming off the ocean, 35 meters, about 110, 20 feet. What does that remind you of, folks? Mississippi River? It is a protected port because there are islands in front of it, so the wilds of the North Pacific do not affect it. But most importantly, what is special about this wondrous town of Prince Rupert, this small little town, this economically insignificant place other than its port, is that a rail line goes to it, 
and it is one day closer travel time to Shanghai and into Asia, the curvature of the Earth. The further north you are, the less time you have to travel across the oceans. That's going to be very important for what we're about to talk about. So listen up, folks. This may sound complicated, but this could mean potentially millions of dollars to the, your personal economy and jobs for your kids and grandkids. Prince Rupert was founded. It was actually a city that was created by a man named Charles Hayes. He had started up a competing railroad around the beginning of the First World War, right before, in the years leading up, um, the teens, to the Canadian Pacific Railway that goes to Vancouver. He called it the Canadian Trunk Railway, and the guy was from Illinois, and his idea was being able to connect this northernmost city with this incredible port all the way across Canada through Edmonton and down into Chicago. It, in other words, you'd be able to basically, instead of the, this railway that's 100 miles north, you'd be able to use this great port to connect to China and Asia. He built the railway. It was an accomplishment. You go through two sets of mountains, through the Rockies and through what's called the Seven Sisters. And I actually rode that railway from Jasper, Alberta, which is right in the Canadian Rockies, right near Banff and Banff National Park. It was beautiful and rode it all the way here, and I went around the most epic mountains and utter wonderful, uh, uh, wonderful, wonderful waters and rivers and waterfalls and, uh, you know, snowy glaciers and the whole works, even though, as I do the show, it's almost July. There's glaciers on there. There was snow on the ground when we left Jasper. But this railway goes through. They do one or two passenger trains, and I encourage for those that would ever like to take what's called the Skeena Train, there's a company called, that we work with called Uncommon Journeys. You can go to them at uncommonjourneys.com or trainholidays.com on the web. Um, and you can see the Skeena train, the great Canadian Pacific route trips it's, it's done. Uh, you give them a call and you just heard it, tell them you heard it in the Founders Show. You, you, and you get a, uh, a special uh, one-night bonus on your trip along with the free meals and a whole bunch of stuff. But I took this train with a group of people, and I was talk telling them about the creation of the Canadian Trunk Railway, talking about history. Charles Hayes had this great vision. They built the railway. It was losing money, but he was going to build a, a palace, practically, in Prince Rupert. He was going to make it the entrepot to the east. And then he gets on the Titanic, and he dies. The company goes into receivership, and it's joined with the Canadian National. And Prince Rupert, with its incredible harbor, 35 meters deep, ends up becoming just sort of a second-rate port. But it's got this great freight rail line that goes straight across Canada, not in the south, but basically uh, straight across, effectively, to Chicago. And then what happens? Well, containerization, for those that don't know, is what you have on the back. A container is what you have in the back of an 18-wheeler truck. And we learned that it's easier to ship things internationally and much cheaper if you can pack them into containers and it becomes intermodal. From the time they're packed to the time they're unpacked, they never actually get, the boxes never get taken out of the container. They're put in huge ships that go across the Atlantic and Pacific and they ship through it. In New Orleans, we haven't been able to do much with the container business. We have large container you know, cranes that take them off around the Napoleon Avenue wharf, but the big, the really big container ships can't fit under the Mississippi River Bridge. So we've talked about building a new container port down in St. Bernard Parish, closer to the mouth of the river. It doesn't have to travel up, and it's an area where the river is, catch this, close to 35 meters deep. Well, the reason I'm telling you that is a lot of people say this is a boondoggle. 
it's cost it would cost too much money. We're talking billions of dollars to build this port. But Prince Rupert is my thing. There is nothing going on in this town except the port of it's they've they've managed to do some interesting tourist stuff. It's kind of an entrepot going to Victoria um, and Vancouver Island. It's got whale watching and grizzly bears, and it's a beautiful town, as I'll describe in a second. But having said that, the port is everything here. Just like in New Orleans, the real economy is based on the port. Well, the, the, Prince Rupert's a small town. A third of the people are First Nations, indigenous um, Indians, if you will. Uh, they are. It's a relatively poor place. It resembles New Orleans and minority populations in a lot of different ways. It's actually created as a town, it, just to be a port city, in a way like New Orleans was, though much later, around the turn of the century. It's called Port, uh, port Rupert, by the way, for those that know. Uh, Prince Rupert was uh, the one of the great heroes of on the Royalist side during the, uh, during the English Civil War. But after his cousin Charles II is restore, restored to the monarchy, he's made head of the Hudson Bay Company, the first head of it. And it was actually a competition, a naming competition across Canada that gave the city its name. They named it after the first head of the P Hudson Bay Company. For those that don't know, the Hudson Bay Company lasted 200 years. And when it expired, the British government essentially gave Canada its working independence and gave it most of the land controlled by the Hudson Bay Company, which is modern-day Saskatchewan, Alberta, and most of northern British Columbia and the Yukon, where all the gold came, where all that stuff came. Well, they named it Prince Rupert to do this port. I'm saying all this for things. 2007 rolls around. The provincial government of British Columbia says, we want more container traffic, and... Right now, we're getting stuff into Vancouver, but again, Vancouver's pretty built over. It's competing with Seattle and Los Angeles. But you know what? If a, if a container vessel goes from Shanghai, from China, to Prince Rupert in their port, it takes one day less to travel. It's 4,600 miles versus 5,400 miles just to go to Vancouver. That's how different it is up here near Alaska. And you can put it on rail and get it straight across Canada into Chicago and are distributed around the country. And, but it was going to take money. So rather than say, Prince Rupert, you're on your own. Port, you know, we've got a small little port. It does some important stuff, but you fund it yourself. They made a provincial. They passed a special tax and provincially paid for this multi-billion dollar port. If you've ever seen the Port of New Orleans, those big blue towers that go in, those cost almost $40 million a piece. It just gives you a little indication of what can be done. So they, they put up their money where their mouth is. 2007, that rolls around. Now, Prince Rupert is one of the largest container ports in the world. What had a poverty rate of 40% is putting people to work. Indigenous people with, that did not have high school education rather than a college education, very similar to the experience of African Americans. I'm not comparing slavery to this. I'm talking about being in, in poverty, with broken families, alcoholism, drugs, so on and so forth, inner city deterioration, that this was, has been a way out. It has employed people left and right. It was a massive shot in the arm. And as they did it, they got smart. Where they used to have their port facilities in front of the town that were pretty ugly, and they were canning facilities, they were pretty ugly. In fact, my friend Christopher Kite said, you know, going to Prince Rupert, as I did 20 years ago, it was, it was like going to a, a sort of, how shall I put this politely, in a post-industrial town, Gary, Indiana or something. Now, 
you go to a waterfront that looks like Fisherman's Wharf. They were able to turn that waterfront into restaurants, bars, walkways, parks. It is a really brilliant place to go to tourism now, and from those former wharfs, you, you go whale watching, you go grizzly bear watching, you walk around uh, waterfront parks that stretch literally miles, and now, because they invested in building a brand new container port about, I don't know, not very far, about six miles away, they're able to take their historic downtown and reclaim it for the waterfront, and Prince Rupert, because of the train and all this, is starting to become a major cruise ship destination. And it's a relatively small town, much smaller than New Orleans, a fraction of the size. But it's carrying more international trade than New Orleans does, the port of New Orleans. Maybe not all the petrochemicals from the mouth of the river to Baton Rouge, but when it comes to container traffic, we're not even a percentage of what Prince Rupert in Canada does, right near the Canadian border. So this is the question I want to pose to you, hi. And it boils down to this. What are the lessons we could learn here? One, is it worthwhile to build a brand new port system? That's what the Port of New Orleans wants to do down in Chalmette. Build something huge. Two, if you build it, they can go. You've heard if you build it, they can come. Well, if they build, they can go. What is the best use of the land, the, the, the riverfront properties from the Audubon Butterfly, the area, the park behind Audubon Park, the, the fly, all the way to the Garden District and the French Quarter? Well, all those wharfs could easily be, over time, phased out and turned into public parks. We did it with rebuilding the Crescent and what happened with the Crescent Park. And we could do it there to where, essentially, you could walk all the way to the Ninth Ward from Audubon Park or from Jefferson Parish. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac Wayne Heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play, and... Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured, it was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. With Jiffy Lube MultiCare, it's our job to keep you moving. With a full range of services from oil changes, tires, brakes, batteries, and more, we've got what your car needs, so you're ready for whatever's next. Putting you in the driver's seat of car care, that's a job for Jiffy. Visit JiffyLube.com to find a service center near you. And you're walking in a riverfront park, and it has done incredible things to reinvigorate the economy as you build your major port. We need to do it. Container ships cannot go under the Mississippi River Bridge. It's too low. And we need, basically, it to be closer to the Gulf of Mexico. But why should the other question, we put up billions of dollars to build a port? Well, here's the truth. We don't have the infrastructure money right now in the Port of New Orleans budget to do this kind of construction. They can talk about it. They've said, we're going to figure out a way to self-fund it. It's not realistic. And those who've looked at it have said, no, it's going to take real money. The state doesn't have that money, and politically it doesn't have that money. So here's, they, they, they are not going to, dedicate what is could be 30 40 billion dollars to build something like this even though the state of louisiana would benefit to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars and the economy of the greater new orleans area of course would get thousands tens of thousands of jobs much more effective than all the money we're, we're pouring down to attract business this would attract people because why why new orleans well just like prince rupert is closer to asia we are closer to Asia, too. Well, that seems kind of a contradiction for something that's in the Gulf of Mexico. But we are. You see, ladies and gentlemen, 
The Panama Canal has been widened. It can now take major container ships. And the first port, if you're going into, the, uh, into America, that makes the most sense for them to go is New Orleans. Now, a lot of you say, well, what about Houston? What about Fort Lauderdale? Houston is a little bit closer, but it doesn't have five consecutive freight rail lines going through it the way New Orleans does. As big as it is, it doesn't have the rail system that we have. It doesn't have a dedicated rail system just for the port, which we have with the public belt. So freight rail can be intermodal. It's extremely important for container traffic. You can take them off ships, put them on rail, get them anywhere in the country very fast. Second, um, and it comes right down to this, once you move something in New Orleans, you move it to the whole country, we are actually closer than any of the East Coast ports that right now are accepting container traffic. New, New York, New Jersey, Baltimore, any of that. We could be the next container mecca. We can learn from this little town of Prince Rupert, but it takes money. And it takes either the state of Louisiana putting up billions of dollars, which frankly there isn't the political support elsewhere, or all of us in the metro New Orleans area saying, you know what? we're going to have to probably pay a tax to build the Port of New Orleans. Now, immediately, people start throwing their hands up, and they're like, no. Honestly, no, 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 no. I'm not paying any more tax. That's fine. That makes sense. I don't like tax anymore. But I want to ask you this question. If New Orleans could regain its position as the most influential port in the world, we still are the major port for agricultural items. We, we still bring in most of the coffee. We still bring in the uh, transship, most of the petrochemicals. But where we're losing it is what we used to be strong at, the goods, the literal finished goods. If we can do that and have all the rollover industries, would you be willing to pay a half cent in sales tax for the next 10 years? That's my question to the audience right now. Would you be willing to pay a half penny in sales tax, all the residents, not just of Orleans or St. Bernard, but Orleans, Jefferson, St. Bernard, Plaquemine, probably St. Tammany, Terrebonne, Lafouche, the, the multi-parish area that benefits from the Port of New Orleans, whose people work there. Are you willing to put your, mouth, your money where your mouth is to help fund a revenue source for millions of dollars, billions of dollars in bonds that will be required? Because unless we're willing to make the kind of decision the province of British Columbia did, which is to fund this, a decision that, frankly, the state of Louisiana is not going to do for political reasons. North Louisiana is not going to pay for us to have a big port. So we have to do it for ourselves. Are we in the multi-parish area willing to do this? If we don't, folks, the port of New Orleans will continue to decline faster and faster and lose more and more market share because if a city of basically 50,000 people total can be doing... 20 times our container business because it took advantage of geography, which we have, and a state-of-the-art container port, which we don't, then we have something to learn. Your thoughts, hi? My goodness. Christopher, this is fascinating. Boy, what a time you're having. And I, I agree with your wisdom of, of the future of New Orleans, where we could go, what we could do. I've been saying this for years. Think of it. Why, why do we sit at the greatest watershed of wealth in the world, I'm talking about the greater part, port of New Orleans, and we have for, for several hundred years. Why do we have so much opportunity in this city and in this state with all that wealth passing us, going upriver and going down with it every year? The only city in America with five railheads. Folks, we should be so much more prosperous and so ahead of where we, we, we are now. Do you realize that 
when I was in high school back in the 60s, New Orleans was ranked as one of the top 10 cities in America. Today, we're not even in the top 100, and we have all this opportunity. So, Christopher, what you've been telling us is a way up, a way that we can upgrade our city and make it good for everybody. Let's make New Orleans great again, right? I think that's a great idea. All it takes is wise and efficient executive action in this city. If we could get our politicians to start acting like wise businessmen, looking at New Orleans as the corporation that they would be running, if you will, and that they would be doing it for the, for the best for the stockholders, that's us, for the uh, employees, that's us, and really work to make a great city and a great state. My goodness, where we couldn't go. So you've got great ideas there. I'm, I'm 100% behind you on this. And, uh, and you can see it's, it's been done up in Alberta. Why can't we do it, folks? We could do it. All we need is some, some politicians that want to do the right thing, you know, roll up their sleeves and go to work, uh, forget about crony capitalism, and just start doing the right thing for all of us. Well, maybe it'll happen. We can certainly pray that it will. I've, I've hoped and dreamed about these kind of things for many years now as I slowly watched New Orleans crash and burn. New Orleanians, it's time for us to wake up. Louisianians, it's time for us all to wake up and hold our politicians accountable for what they're doing. Thank you, Christopher. I know you've got, um, I guess it's about time for us to take a break. So we're going to play our Monsanto, some of our Monsanto Martin's wonderful, magnificent Creole tunes, and we'll be right back. Well, folks, this is Chaplain High McHenry, and aren't we living in desperate times? Think about it. We've got, when Iran is not trying to blow up the world, North Korea is. We've got federal employees and the federal government weaponizing itself against its political opponents. We've got crime at an all-time highs all around the world. We've got, and of course, especially here in America, we've got uh, terrorists trying to blow up the world. So, or, or blow up groups of people, let's say, and shoot them or whatever, knife them, whatever they do. They've got many ways they've attacked us. We're living in desperate times, folks, and this calls for desperate understanding. And I'm sharing all this with you because I want to tell you about a great radio show called Desperate Reality. We, and for full disclosure, I'm on the board of New Orleans Mission that sponsors this show. I'm one of the originators of it, and I'm the chaplain counselor in the background. Ho- uh, supporting our fantastic host, Johnny L., who's also one of the mission directors and counselors uh, in the rehabilitation part of our ministry. So, folks, check us out. Go to DesperateReality.com. Check, get your favorite radio station, because we're heard from Sea to Shining Sea. We're a national show across our fruited plains. Pick your favorite radio station and tune in every night from 10 p.m. till midnight every Saturday night. And I promise you, you will absolutely be fascinated with what you hear. We're the only live reality rescue talk show in America. Again, heard every Saturday night from 10 p.m. to midnight. So check us out, DesperateReality.com. 
and thank you so very much. And I'd like to tell you about our ministry, LAM Ministries, and we understand desperate situations because we deal with inner city kids and the urban poor. It's a great tragedy, folks. Our, our kids are called short-termers. That means by their mid-20s, they're either going to be dead, in jail for life, or living at the homeless mission. And the greatest tragedy is they all know that, but don't know there's any other life. They think that's a normal life. What a horrible tragedy that is happening right here in our city. Dearly beloved, they need help. If somebody from outside of their environment doesn't reach in and help them, they're going down. So if you have an interest in this type of work, please contact us. You can go to our website, lamnola.com. That's L-A-M-B-N-O-L-A.com. And check us out. We need all the help we can get. We need volunteers, prayer warriors, financial support. We need it all, folks. So you have any kind of interest in this kind of work, get in touch with us. You can also call me at 504-723-9369 and see what's going on. We have seen so many miracles take place with our kids. We've seen kids that didn't have a chance. They're now working, raising their own kids, sending them to our Bible studies, getting married, getting good jobs, holding jobs, some of them even going to college or trade schools or whatever. It's a miracle to see, folks. When they see the light and they stay in the light, they, they have miracles happen for them. So please check us out, lambnola.com. That's L-A-M-B-N-O-L-A dot com. And thank you so very, very much. And we're, it's time to go back to the show now. Folks, it's Chaplain High McHenry, working so very hard with my partner, Christopher Tidmore, to bring you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. And I want you to know you can hear us every Sunday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. We're the number one rated weekend show on WRNO, that's 99.5 on your FM dial. You can hear us there every Sunday morning, or you can hear us during the week on WSLA, their AM station, that's 1560, or their FM station, and that's 93.9. And uh, we're heard on their station every Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, drive time from 8 to 9 a.m. in the morning. So check us out. And by the way, if you aren't you <laughs> today, people aren't using radios anymore. They're really not. They're using their cell phones. So if that's the way you like to get your news, then... You get the iHeartMedia app, iHeartMedia app, and it's free. Download it, and you'll get to hear us whenever we're on. You can put a request to notify you when the new show comes up. And, and also pick up all kinds of other great things, other news stations, music, etc. on the iHeartMedia app. They own WRNO. Or you can go to the WRNO, that's the FM station, 99.5. You can go to their website and check up On Demand. Go to their website, WRNO.com. Click on On Demand, and you'll find us there. Or go to our website, TheFoundersShow.com, and listen to us whenever it's convenient for you. So thank you so very much. Christopher's got some very exciting and interesting information about the upcoming races, the governor's race and other races. You know, he is our journalist, Park Salance. He does this remarkably well. I mean, he's on top of it all. He can tell you what Governor Edwards ate for breakfast yesterday. He's so on top of all the various things, ins and outs and ups and downs and roundabouts about what's going on in the septic tank. That's why we call Christopher our 
storage engineer on the show. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Well, Christopher, what is happening? Well, hi. Right now in our second segment, we're changing gears a little bit and sort of prognosticating what... With Jiffy Lube Multicare, it's our job to keep you moving with a full range of services from oil changes, tires, brakes, batteries, and more. We've got what your car needs, so you're ready for whatever's next. Putting you in the driver's seat of car care, that's a job for Jiffy. Visit JiffyLube.com to find a service center near you. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play, and... Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's Tropical Fruit Finish. Shaken, strained, poured, it was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Seems to be happening in the Louisiana governor's race, and it's basically the first ads came out in favor of John Bell Edwards. They're already running, and his opponents, of course, Eddie Rispone and Congressman Abraham, have been really silent, mainly because they don't have any money. President Trump came out, as you, we know and we talked about on this show, and tried to encourage Steve Scalise to run for governor. So far, while people are wondering if Scalise will change his mind, he has said, no, he's not. No, he's not. He told the president, no, he wasn't. He liked his current job and wanted to be Speaker of the House one day. Fair enough. But as it stands, John Bell Edwards seems to be coasting to a pretty easy re-election. There was a recent poll that showed that he was in trouble, but it also showed that independents leaned toward him, and he could easily get over 50%, a quite an accomplishment in a state that's gone so consistently Republican-red. Apparently, his signing of the heartbeat bill has tamed social conservatives, and the state of the economy, which is good, seems to get swing voters out there. There doesn't seem right now to be much of an argument going on for many of the challengers of John Bell Edwards. And what makes this interesting is turnout is going to be really important in this race. Remember, two-thirds of the House and Senate effectively are term limited. We have uh, House members overwhelmingly running for the Senate, and we have, frankly, a couple of Senate members running for the House. But mostly we've got new people coming out, and that generates new excitement. The 2007 term limits that cleared that class are finally clearing those that got promoted. And people are excited in a state where, frankly, nobody was really excited to vote. Times for Louisiana, while not perfect, have been better than they have been in several years. And Edwards comes down as one of the most interesting reelect possibilities. But you knew there was a but coming. And here's the but. John Bell Edwards, right now, is fighting the pro-choice wing of the Democratic Party very actively. Even though some of the most senior Democrats in the country say, essentially, a governor from Louisiana, one who expanded Medicaid, and on social issues, you know, uh, criminal justice and all that, have been pretty much on progressive ends. They say a governor, a Democrat from Louisiana is a gift from God. But what has happened is there is active money looking for a challenger to Edwards, somebody who could run in the open primary as a pro-choice candidate in Louisiana. National Hollywood money. Potentially an African-American candidate from what we are hearing here. Now, whether this will work or not, nobody knows. But the fact of the matter is, if the one thing that could stop John Bell Edwards' easy reelect is if a black candidate who is pro-choice runs. Somebody like, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be him, I don't think it is, but... I'll use J.P. Morrell as a perfect example. 
a well-spoken, you know, um, and, and I mean this in the best sense of the word, somebody who appeals to Caucasian voters, someone who has crossover appeal, particularly suburban, moderate women, particularly those who live in the more affluent parts of, of Jefferson and St. Bernard, which Senator Morrell represents. Could he, could he or someone like him, who has a relatively moderate voting record on some issues, but a very consistent pro-choice voting record, Karen Carter-Peterson, who's also term-limited, is another example. There are others who could get into the race. I don't think she would, and I don't think Morrell would, but there are there is money searching for somebody who would go to it that would be funded by pro-choice resources out of Hollywood, out of you know, what have you around the country, against Edwards. If it happened, you'd end up with not a three-person field with two underfunded Republicans, but you'd, fund, you'd end up with a four-person field with an okay-funded African-American candidate who could get black votes and pull them away from Edwards. He'd be attacked on the left and the right, and a suddenly easy re-elect becomes really complex. It's hard to estimate because we don't hear it as much in Louisiana, how much the anger came out on the Democratic left at John Bell Edwards signing the heartbeat bill. It shouldn't have surprised anyone. It's not like he had a, a, you know, a deathbed conversion to being pro-life. Edwards, for, for all of his politics wherever, has had a 100% pro-life voting record for years. He's a very devout Catholic. And once upon a time, it was very effective for a Democrat to be a pro-life Catholic. And you could do that, and there, you also could have pro-choice Republicans. There's still a few pro-choice Republicans, but frankly, right now, there are only four pro-life Democrats left in the, the House of Representatives. There's only one in the Senate, the senator from West Virginia, Joe Manchin. Oh, uh, two, uh, uh, the senator fr- uh, from Pennsylvania, of course, um, Casey. But that comes through, both of them are in severe trouble. The Democratic Party is losing that side. And it's kind of a bigger push to the left that's affecting everyone else. Right now, of course, there was a, everybody's talking about how the Democratic Party is moving to the left, but actually a poll showed that part of the Biden appeal and why he's doing so well is most of the primary voters don't exist in the Twitter sphere, don't watch MSNBC. 40% of Democratic primary voters thought the Hyde Amendment, which bans public funding for abortion, is a good thing and should stay in place. One of the mistakes I think Biden may have made is flip-flopping on that, because it didn't really endear him to pro-choice forces, but at the same time, he had an appeal to to the regular rank and file. They they are pro-choice, most Democrats are, but they're not exactly these, you know, abortion under every circumstance things, even though, and, and any more than, let's be fair, most Republican primary voters, if they really ask, want a six-week abortion ban. They want something. They're, they are pro-life, but they're not sure if six weeks is enough time. And it seems like as the two sides go to their ideological sides, you can't disagree anymore in either party at least in the GOP, and I say this as a critic sometimes of how the Republicans do, it's, it, it, you can still have pro-choice Republicans. Maybe not in Louisiana, but elsewhere. But increasingly, you can't have pro-life Democrats. And John Bell Edwards may learn this quite soon if what I'm hearing as our political inside story comes to pass, that there may be funding a, a Democratic challenger to him. Remember, we have an open primary system, so it's not a primary challenge in that sense. It would be a fourth player with money in the field. 
maybe a, an African-American legislator that could pull it all away. Your thoughts, hi? Thanks, Christopher. Great, great uh, reporting here. And this just brings out what I have been saying for years, that over time, the Democrat Party and the liberals have become more and more uh, dic- dictatorial in their ways. They, they make perfect fascists, perfect communists, perfect Nazis. Uh, they have to have absolute control over everything. They have no toleration for anybody else. Even their own man, Edwards here, is now uh, under the attack because he's voted his heart. He voted his beliefs, his convictions, that he believes that abortion is a murder. It is the taking of a human life, and it absolutely is. You know, when the Democrats have control, uh, they're in the, you know, the White House or whatever, uh, they do anything they want to just about. Uh, they, they can create their own amnesty for illegal aliens. That's not legal. Uh, they can use IRS to, um, as their own police force, imprison citizens who speak against them. They can uh, provide guns and money like in Fast and Furious. They can run uh, the nuclear deals with Iran like they did, uh, trying to make it a covert operation to deliver billions of dollars to Iran. Uh, that's only going to go to their terrorist operations. Uh, they can do anything they want to. And, and as long as they do it, Benghazi, you know, uh, get rid of that ambassador because he was a problem to the, that administration. Whatever they want to do, they seem to do it, and it's okay. And they have zero toleration for anybody else or anything else. They are the most intolerant of other classic dictators in their full, the way they uh, the way they work, the way they uh, work government, if you will. So what do I think about all this? Well, I'm glad Edwards has, has voted his mind, his um, conscience. And um, are they going to bring in somebody else to get rid of Edwards? Maybe so. Who knows what they're going to try? There's no telling what these people are up to. Anyway, thank you, Christopher. I know you got some more for us, so let's hear what else, what else is on your mind. I want to close this segment looking a little bit more. You know, sex scandals seem to be affecting the potential leaders of both Britain and America right now. Right now, the the prospective prime minister of Great Britain, Boris Johnson, the former mayor of London, was caught in a domestic row with his girlfriend, Cynthia Simmons, and it called the police. And he won't address it as the election for prime minister is going on. It doesn't seem the base of the Conservative Party cares, but a lot of swing voters care. Same thing is happening in the Republican Party with Trump, where these accusations of this Vanity Fair writer that he raped her have been playing across the country, but it hasn't really affected Trump's numbers amongst uh, Republicans. Even after a picture, he, the president had said, I don't know this woman, and then their picture of them standing together came out. That hasn't really affected it. The partisan positions of the parties have, uh, here or in the UK or anywhere else, are hardening behind their favorite candidates, their, the Brexit candidates, those who are in-your-face type of go-against-the-establishment type people, and it doesn't really matter. But why am I telling you all of this? To rehash Trump sex scandals or Boris Johnson's? No, I really don't care. I'm telling you to say that Republicans need to be aware of something that they used to be aware of but are forgetting. Part of the reason Trump won and part of the reason George W. Bush won in 2000 is because Republicans got very good in 2000 and then again in um, 2016 at looking at how traditionally Democratic states were switching. In 2000, uh, there was a 
an idea that West Virginia might become Republican. That was laughable, completely and utterly laughable. After all, this is West Virginia that voted for Michael Dukakis with something like, I think it was a 14-point spread, and yet George W. Bush could be, go, do what his father couldn't do when his, when his father won everything but six states in, in, in 1998? I mean, come on. Yet, one of the things that Karl Rove figured out was that the environmentalist side of the Democratic Party was alienated pro-coal voters, and frankly, that Perot had done really well in that state, and if you target the pro-voters, they'll come out and vote for a Republican. And guess what? West Virginia today is considered a staunch GOP state. By the way, so is Louisiana, and Louisiana voted for Clinton twice. Here's the challenge. Trump did the same thing. He brought in and saw where the industrial white working-class voters felt disaffected with Hillary Clinton. They were looking for somebody willing to fight on trade matters. And so with the trending republicanism going on in Pennsylvania, George W. Bush got 49% of the vote in Pennsylvania, even though Obama won it overwhelmingly. But also in Wisconsin and Michigan, Trump managed to narrowly win those states. Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania together, 77,460 vote margin collectively. That makes a, a race effectively closer than Kennedy-Nixon, if you really look in electoral terms. But let's say those sta- everybody's wondering if those states will stay in the GOP column. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But no one's wondering, what about the states that Republicans are taking for granted? Joe Biden said something this past week, and he said, you know what, we're going to win in the South. We're going to win in Texas. We're going to win in Georgia. We're going to win in Arizona. And every- people were like, ah, how can you say that? Well, think about this for a second. It's logical if you think about it. Those states are changing, and it's not that their politics are changing, it's that they're getting in new people. Remember, California was a true Republican state, or at least a swing state, until the Republicans started leaving for more economically advantageous territories. And then they got, what happens when those territories did? Well, as they became more economically diverse, Democrats started coming. Arizona is quickly becoming a tech-friendly center. It's bringing in a lot of young people that tend to vote Democratic. Texas, Austin, bringing a lot of young people, highest influx of people. Georgia, Atlanta, bringing a lot of young people. And what's happening is the closest Senate race in Texas history, a narrow loss for the Republican in Arizona, and frankly, the closest governor's race practically in Georgia history, and then of course there's a perennial swing state, Florida, where all of this is happening, that it could be a scenario where where Donald Trump wins Pennsylvania, wins Wisconsin, maybe even wins Michigan, but loses one of the other traditionally Republican states. That is, if Republicans don't pay attention to what's going on. Your thoughts, Hi? Well, Christopher, some more interesting uh, insights you have here. I guess let's go back to the beginning here, and that's about the sex scandals. You know, for every one sex scandal the Republicans have, the Democrats have 10. They've had so many more sex scandals. It's a joke. Think of the Clintons. Uh, think of all the the Democrat and liberal uh, notaries, notables, let's say, um, like Feinstein and just all of them, how they got uh, nailed for all their extreme sexcapades going on, their abuse of, of their powers to exact sexual favors from people. So, yeah, it, 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 it uh, just wanted to drop that little balance, if you will, into the conversation. And, um, but when it comes to uh, the future demographics, I, I don't know. I mean, I know that they've stacked and packed illegal aliens all over this country, and they, of course they want them to vote, 
and they're doing everything they can to get them to vote so they don't have to have IDs and they don't have to be citizens and everything else. I mean, it's just, it's insane what the Democrats are doing. And then we also know that, that every election day is also resurrection day because we know how many dead people seem to rise from the dead, you know, leave the cemeteries and go to the polls and vote. Uh, and they even used to brag about it. They used to laugh about it. They were so proud of how crooked they were. I, can't, I couldn't believe they would come out and publicly brag and laugh about all the, the dead people that were voting for them. So, Christopher, I don't know where all this is going to go. Uh, I know that the older people get, the more mature they get. Like Churchill said, if, you, if you're not a liberal when you're 20, you don't have a heart. If you're not a conservative by the time you're 30, you don't have a brain. So maybe a lot of this influx of, of young voters, they're going to grow up and start seeing the, you know, the, the reality of life and realize that what we're offering, what constitutional conservatives are offering, like, in other words, what Trump has done for the economy and everything else, I mean, justice reform, all the things that man has done are just astounding. It's amazing. Uh, you know, I, I think back when Jesse Jackson was hailing Donald Trump as the greatest friend of the poor, and he on and on and on praising Donald Trump till he till he <laughs> till he became a Republican candidate. Then all of a sudden, Trump was pure evil and a racist and this and everything else. Um, is there any integrity here? I mean, is anybody even slightly trying to tell the truth when it comes to all all this whole political mess we see in America? Well, it's going to take a lot of prayer, Christopher. It's going to take a lot, a lot of um, America needs to turn back to God. That's the answer to all this. America needs to turn back to God. I hope and pray it'll happen. I pray every day for a revival, and I pray it'll start in New Orleans. Maybe it will. So anyway, um, it is time for us to go into break, and we'll be right back as we listen again to Armand St. Martin at playing his wonderful tune. <laughs> Today's edition of the Founder Show is brought to you by Villeries Florist, 1-800-V-I-L-L-E-R-E or VillariesFlorist.com, who are celebrating, ladies and gentlemen, their 50th anniversary, and they want you to celebrate with them. How do they do it? Well, it's simple, folks. You can go into any Villaries Florist location on the South Shore or the North Shore, on Martin Berman or in Covington, and come out with a dozen roses for the whopping low price of five fifty. 50 years, get it? 550 for cash and carry roses at any Villaries Florist locations in the Metro New Orleans area for the listeners of the Founders Show. All you have to do, call 1-800-V-I-L-L-E-R-E or go into one of the Villaries Florist locations and say, I heard it on the Founders Show that you're offering roses for 550 $5.50 for a dozen roses. And they'll say, yes, you can come get them. They don't deliver them for 550 but you can cash and carry them out. I can't imagine a cheaper, better way to, for you to look like a hero before your loved one than to go into a village florist, come home with a dozen roses, and it costs you $5! $5.50! A 50th anniversary gift for all of us who listen to the Founders Show. Go check it out. Villaries Florist, 1-800-V-I-L-L-E-R-E-R or VillariesFlorist.com, an official sponsor of the Founders Show. As is the Royal Merchant Trading Company on the web at RoyalMerchant.co. Ladies and gentlemen, local entrepreneur Barkley Rapper, he brings in spices from all over the world. Spices that were in the ground six months ago. Spices that are in, in packets that are affordable, less than $6. Spices that are fresh, that makes your 
your food tastes totally different. And spices you can get right here with a local New Orleans business by calling 504-952-5831, 504-952-5831, or going to royalmerchant.co. That's royalmerchant.co, royalmerchant.co, 504-952-5831, for the best spices to spice up your food as we go in the summer season, and tell her you heard it on The Founders Show. It is now time for us to go into our Chaplain Baba patriotic moment. We just take a brief moment to remind you of the biblical foundations of our country, our Judeo our Judeo-Christian jurisprudence. And, of course, this is Chaplain Hyman McEnry, and you're listening to The Founders Show. And today we're going to talk about St. Brendan, the navigator of Clonfort. Now, let me give you a little background on this. This comes from the days of St. Patrick, who started a major, major movement, spiritual movement, in northern Europe, specifically in Ireland, that then spread to all of the British Isles and the rest of Europe and all the way down into Africa and even Asia. It's one of the most amazing 400-year major missionary movements, revivals that the church has ever seen. It's an astounding thing to study. Well, one of their, or several of their, their evangelists and preachers decided to go west instead of east. And so St. Brendan, and, and there, by the way, there's a museum to this in Ireland. You can go see his boat, not the original one, but a replica of it. Uh, they would make boats back then. They would make a frame, then they would put skins over them and seal them, sew them together and everything, and seal them. And, and, uh, and, and they were almost like a giant kayak. So they were uh, very seaworthy. They could take waves. You know, they wouldn't get floundered. The, the boat wouldn't fill it with water uh, because it was a, a well-sealed boat. And um, anyway, they took off heading west, believing that there was a great land in the west where they could bring the gospel. And there's a, a beautiful stained glass window, too, St. Brendan, and uh, he, his, his, he lived during that time of 484 to 577 A.D. He was called the navigator or the voyager, and his seven-year voyage across the Atlantic found America, found this country. Now, remember, we take people from current times to as far back as we can go, and this is the earliest account of anybody having an impact on America for the sake of the gospel, and I'm talking about St. Brendan. Because we're going back to the the fifth uh, century, that's fifth and sixth century. That's absolutely amazing. That far back, that makes them if if um, unless there's some other discover we don't know about, but that would make them the first Europeans to ever reach America, and they um, they end up going all the way down to Florida, and when they got down there, now this is according to his record, and we have the the manuscripts with his record, he found some more Irish saints, Irish evangelist down in Florida. Well, once he got down there, he then finally turned around and ended up coming back to Ireland. It was a seven-year voyage. And um, this is what he said about that. He called America the land of the promised saints, which God will give us on the last day. He also called the Isle of the Blessed. And he said that God was going to use America to be a, a, a mighty land, like a, to create a great light, a light upon a hill, that would reach all the world. And it is an interesting that for over 100 years, America was the number one missionary-sending country in the world. In fact, 90% of all money and people 
who went into foreign missions, came out of America for over 100 years. We're, we're not where we used to be, but for over 100 years we were. And, uh, and think of it, 90% of all of the charity, both public and private, both foreign and domestic, has come out of America again over the past hundred years. This is amazing, folks. So anyway, sound like he had the right. He was a, a real prophet. He figured it out. Well, folks, what about you? Do you believe that you're going to go to the promised land on the other side? And I'm talking about heaven. Do you think you're going to make it there? Well, I sure do hope you will. I know Saint Brendan would love to meet you there. Can't wait to see him myself. But let me tell you how you can know for sure that that's going to happen for you. And, it go, and now we're going into our Chaplain Baba gospel moment, and it goes like this. I'll just give you John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only begotten son. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's all the way God and all the way man, perfect God and perfect man. He gave us his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him. Well, what do we have to believe in him? There's a twofold faith that gets you into heaven. It's a childlike faith also. And this is a twofold faith. The first part of your faith is to repent. Jesus kept saying, repent and believe. Well, that word repent means to change your mind. That's the Greek word, metanoia. Change your mind about what? Well, before, maybe you thought you were smart enough, religious enough, holy enough, rich enough, good enough, or whatever you thought you were. Uh, to, to, you know, your good works could get you into heaven. No, they won't. Nothing you can do to, will get you into heaven. And the moment you realize that you are hopeless and helpless without God, that you're a lost sinner, damned and going to hell, and there's no hope for you on your own. You just repented. It's a, a, a function of faith. You believe you can't save yourself. The moment you do, you're now free to put faith alone in Christ alone. You're free to believe that he died for all of your sins, was buried and rose from the dead. When he died for your sins, he took care of your sin problem. And I'm telling you, he died for all of them, folks. From your tiniest to your greatest, from your first to your last, his, the Bible says his blood washed them all away on the cross. When he did that, that took care of your sin problem. And then the next thing that happened was he took care of your death problem, your second death. That means an eternal separation from God where you would be in a burning hell forever. When he rose from the dead, he took care of that second death problem to win for you his precious free gift of resurrection, everlasting life. If you've never claim that gift before, do it right now. The Bible says that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, not go to hell, but have everlasting life. Folks, I hope you'll do that. Think of it like this. The Bible says he that knew no sin, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, was made sin. He was made into all your dirty, rotten sins that you might be made the righteousness of God in him. Please take that righteousness now by believing that Jesus died for all your sins and rose from dead. You know, the Bible says today, now is the day of salvation. You may not get tomorrow. And like the old country preacher said, don't wait till it's too late. Well, thank you so very much. It's now time for us to close with Amon St. Martin singing a Creole goodbye and God bless you all out there. They call it Creole goodbye they think we're just wasting our time But a minute or three Say bon, say la vie There's time for a Creole goodbye
Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac Wayne heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play, and boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured, it was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely.